I think God wants to break some chains today. We see chains broken around here. See chains of addictions broken, chains of wounds broken. We see chains broken around here, and I think sometimes we get in a mode where we see it enough that we go, oh, I know what happens next. I know what happens here. And I think that the Lord has something a little different for us today in terms of breaking chains, and they're just as, they're just as uh, important. So let's invite the presence of the Holy Spirit onto his word. Lord, it's your church. We're your sheep. We have no particular plan in mind that would ever be greater than yours. And so we humble ourselves. We surrender before you, and we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come on your word. Come and speak to our hearts. Lord, it it looks like I'm going to be doing the talking, but I'd love it if you would do the speaking. And so if you would just come and speak to the heart of every person, wherever they are, however near or far they may feel like they are from you, that you would take the words of my mouth and that you would adapt them and translate them into the ears and hearts of every person here for your greatest glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're on stop number 20 in our Through the Bible series. I need to say, I think we're going to go a few more weeks on this, then we're going to take a break from it. I think what I'd like to do over the summer is do some summer shorts. Remember how we've done that sometimes in the past? They're just sort of standalone messages, and they tend to, they come from the scriptures, of course, and invite the Holy Spirit, but they tend to center around a topic. And I'm going to invite you to do something that I may regret. And that is, I'm going to invite you to take your white connection card. And if you get stirred with an idea for a summer short, I don't usually take input from you because I don't care what you think. But I just think it might be nice to hear from you. And I realize I'm going to get from some of you wise guys some interesting things that I'm not going to do. But if you're stirred... uh, you know, about, hey, Tom, would you think about bringing a teaching on, boom, then uh, would you just use your white card to turn that in, or you can uh, text or email me, anything but Facebook, uh, you can get a hold of me, okay, and Twitter and Instagram, so other than that, I'm completely accessible, <laughs> plus I'm standing around here all the time, too, so you can tell me, but I'm likely to forget, it's better if you write it down. We're in the book of Isaiah today, stop number 20, as we move our way through the Bible in this survey series, looking at each book at a time in kind of a flyover way, and then get a little bit more specific is what we're doing if you're newer here. And the book of Isaiah is the first in a new section. We just finished uh, Song of Solomon. Man, am I glad that's behind us. Holy mackerel. Uh, And now we're in uh, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, which starts a new section, because you remember that Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, as it may be in your Bible, is the end of the the poetry, or the wisdom literature, I should say, the wisdom literature. And so now we're moving into the prophets. And you're starting to get a feel for how this Bible thing is set up, aren't you? It's like, wait a minute, this isn't chronological, this is topical. I mean, I think it'd be better from my point of view, because I'm a very linear thinker, if it was everything was just in chronological order, so there was a little bit of this prophet in Second Kings, and wherever they were, that they'd just go ahead and put them in there. But I wasn't around uh, when they made up the Bible. I know, surprise, perhaps, but uh, uh, so 
that's the way it is. And so now we're moving into the prophets. So from here on out, through the end of the Old Testament, they'll all be prophets. That's divided up into two groups, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And it doesn't really have to do with their level of influence or their importance, uh, but it has to do with the length, the body, how much they had to say and over what time period. And so Isaiah starts off with, uh, as one of the, the major prophets. The context for this was pretty, pretty straightforward, but a little bit tricky at the same time. It was written by Isaiah. So it was written by Isaiah, but it covers such a long period of time that um, uh, it's possible that it, he was helped by one or two followers after him. And so you, your choice is to say that Isaiah wrote the body of it, uh, and then uh, the majority of it, and then the later chapters were written by Isaiah's followers, the next generation, if you will. That's one way to look at it, because the book covers about a 175-year period of time. And so, but the other option is maybe Isaiah lived to be 175. It's possible with God, right? I hope I don't last that long, frankly. Uh, but it's possible that God could do that. But it's also possible there's another option, and that, that God, Isaiah, was such an incredible prophet that he could have prophesied those things within the realm of a normal lifetime, even though he was talking about the king of Persia and stuff like that named Cyrus in the end of the book, which would have been after his death, that God could have shown him those things. So there you go. Those are your three options. How many of you vote for A? How many of you aren't voting? Okay. I got gotcha. you. I only raised my hand for Jesus, right? I got gotcha. you. The book in context was written to both the kingdom of Israel and Judah. Remember after Solomon, there was a civil war and there was a breakup with Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And uh, it was written to both of them. There was a warning to Israel. Now, Israel went into captivity. We didn't talk about this too much. Long before Judah did. Israel went into captivity in 722 B.C., and then Israel, more than a hundred years, or, or Israel, or Judah, more than a hundred years later. But this is all, they were all shipped off to Babylon. And so it was really written to both of them. And as you start reading, you, you hear these warnings about, we've got to get back to God. And Israel, Judah, we have to get back to God, or his judgment is going to come on us through the Babylonians, which is exactly what happened. And so... The period, I want to say it's written, but the period that it covers is it's written prior, prior to, during, and after the Babylonian captivity. So it's a pretty big stretch. So as you're looking at a particular passage in, in Isaiah and you want to understand it, you want to be a good student of the Bible, it's important to think that through and go, where is this coming from? What's happening? Okay. That's enough about the context for now. The mains. What are the mains? The main, there are several mains, but Main Street for me in, in Isaiah are the messianic prophecies. Somebody say, what's messianic? Sounds like your teenager's room, really, right? It's your bedroom's always all messianic in there. And, and messianic means about the Messiah. So Messiah, you can see it in there now, right? That about the Messiah. Tell me who the Messiah is. Jesus, right. Jesus is the Messiah. And so it's about the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. 
And these prophecies were written some 700 years before he came. And so these were predicting, prophesying, the nature, the life of Jesus, the Messiah. I've listed a number of them up there. Pretty interesting stuff, eh? Born of a virgin. Pretty cool stuff. Would die a cruel death. Would rise from the dead. All of this is prophesied. That he would uh, be an offense to the Jews. A stumbling block to the Jews. Indeed, he was and is in many, many respects. And that he would be the foundation, the cornerstone, the foundation of the church. And that he would be the one to usher in the Holy Spirit. So all these, there were actually, it's arguable that there were 129 messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah. That's a lot. All of which were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And so sometimes the book of Isaiah is referred to as the fifth gospel. Just because it talks about Jesus so very, very much, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned, for unto them is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince. You've heard this before, right? It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Jesus who's here. Not just in our hearts, but here by the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in the room. Some of you are getting stirred this morning. You're stirred some in worship. You're going, what's that? It might even be a foreign thing for you. What was that? What was that? That's the stirring of the Holy Spirit. That's his wooing you and calling you to be known as his, as his child, as his son or his daughter. The hot spot this week I want to focus our attention on and roll into ministry is Isaiah chapter 29. Specifically verse 13. And so the Lord says these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. So when we look at the book of Isaiah, along with the other prophets, and very stern kind of teaching, very judging kind of teaching, but what is the point of the judgment every time is that God is calling his people back to himself. He said that, and, and one of the symptoms of their problem was this, that they said, he said, you say you are mine. You say Israel, you say Judah, you say Israelites, you are mine. And last week we talked about that mutual, that shared possession, didn't we? That we belong to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that by His sovereign permission, He belongs to us. And and so here, way back then, He's saying, you say you're mine. You say, we're the people of God. And He said, and yet, yet, here's what's happened. Your hearts are far from me. This was the problem with Israel. Their hearts became far from him, and so their worship was no longer sincere. Their worship was no longer genuine. It says that their worship became rules. Rules made up by men and learned by rote. And so rules, just tell the kids that's what they believe. Believe this, believe this, do this, do that, and you'll be all right. And you raise up a generation of people who don't know how to enter in to connect with God and worship. Because their hearts were never included. Does that make sense? Many of you are here today because you've been drawn here because your heart was not satisfied. Your heart was not satisfied and you were hungry. You may have learned some rules. You may have learned to follow the rules But at the end of the day, even when you had 
all of the boxes checked, your heart was still hungry, wasn't it? And you were drawn here to this strange place or to a strange place like this. Prepare to gasp. We're not the only ones. I know. There are more. There are people everywhere whose hearts are not satisfied, who are tired of the rules, and whose hearts are not satisfied. And they, they want to be a possession of God. They want to experience the living God. And so what's being said here, the call is the danger of taking rules over relationship. And, he's, and what God is saying is, I am insisting that it's relationship over rules. It's relationship over the rules. The faith of Israel had declined into an empty set of rules. Just do these things, you'll be fine. Some of you can relate to that, can't you? And without being critical of those who brought you up, you can relate to that and think that's how I was brought up. And at a certain age, I, this happened or that happened, and I, was, I got my certificate that I'm in. And, but your heart wasn't there. What was it? And that something was still missing. And Israel had declined into an empty set of rules. The relationship was gone. They were going through the motions. The trouble was that they weren't even doing a good job of keeping the rules. Except for a select few called Pharisees. We all about the rules. We're all about the rules. And they walked around with the appearance, Jesus said, of keeping every rule on the outside. But on the inside, he said, you're full of death. You're dead on the inside. Jesus quoted these very words here. Jesus quoted them in Mark chapter 7, verse 6. When he was talking to the Pharisees, he was talking to the generation he was sent to, and he said, Isaiah was right. Wow, that's a lot of material. Isaiah was right. They're like, about. He said, Isaiah was right when he said, you people honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your religion, he said, is just rules made up by men. And so God is calling us in Isaiah from way back when to focus not on the rules, but on the relationship. And if you turn back in your Bible one page to 28, he says it this way. It's a little more direct even. For it is, here's how he's describing where Israel is. He's saying, for it is do and do, do and do, rule on rule, Rule on rule, a little here, a little there. You hearing it? Verse 13, so when the word of the Lord to them will, so then the word of the Lord to them will become. Do and do, do and do, rule on rule, rule on rule, a little here, a little there. Catch this, so that they will go and fall backward, be injured and snared and captured. You can be captured by the rules. You can fall into a life of performance and be captured by the rules. And and God's problem here was, in, in the original verse that I gave you, was He said, these people say they're mine, but they're just following rules they make up. 
Now, it's not that there aren't rules. There are rules, yes. There are Ten Commandments. There are rules. God has a plan, a way for us to live. But the rules are simple. I think the major purpose of the Ten Commandments was to make the world safe enough so that we, we could focus our attention on relationship with God. If I'm worrying about whether it's okay to be murdered, I'm going to be sleeping with one eye open, yes? But the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. And so with that off of the table then, and the other commandments off of the table, if I think somebody's going to come and steal Karen from me, I'm going to be sleeping with both eyes open. But with that off the table, thou shalt not commit adultery. With that off the table, you see it creates a safety, doesn't it? A a safety so that then we can relax as humans and, and pursue God. That's the purpose of the rules. When we live outside of the clear plan of God from Scripture, then we're we're burdened by that. It'll come. If it hasn't happened yet, it'll come. You'll be burdened by it, and you'll feel it begin to impact in a negative way your relationship with God. So I'm not saying there aren't rules. There are. But it's not rule on rule on rule on rule on rule on rule. That's a different thing, isn't it? That's when when the nature of the relationship changes. There are rules in marriage, yes or no? Turns out I do have to go home just about every day. That's a rule, apparently. But if suddenly we start focusing in our marriage on the rules then what happens to the relationship? Who knows what I'm talking about? Because I'm preaching a lot better than you're amening. Thank you, Charlie. You know, rules, they're kind of what we prefer than relationship. We like the religion. There's something inside of us. Why is this? I want to give you three reasons. Partly because... Rules are less mysterious. Rules take away the mystery of the thing. The truth is that we as 21st century Americans, we like things in right angles, don't we? Some of you hate this slide right now. Some of you are disconnecting, you're having this kind of cognitive dissonance. We like things in right angles. We like full explanations. We avoid mystery. We're people of information and explanation. And so when something can't be explained, we go, oh, it must not be true or it must not be important. Because we worship now at the altar of information. And now we have God. And we say, unless I can understand you, I will not follow you. We hate the mystery. I mean, how many of you read mystery novels? And from page one, what are you doing? You're trying to figure it out, right? I'd love to come to some of your houses and just rip out the last ten pages of every one of your mystery novels. Ah! Except my counseling load would go way up. Karen is really good at figuring this out. She reads a lot of fiction. Me, I'm more of a Bible guy. 
Don't tell her I said that. Don't tell her I said that, okay? She's not in here right now. Listen, she reads a lot, and she figures this stuff out. For fiction, for me, I'm more of a movie guy. And so I remember years ago, we went to see The Count of Monte Cristo. That was a good movie, wasn't it? That's good. So if you know the story at all, it doesn't matter if you do, you'll get this. So right at the, almost to the end of the movie, there's a sword fight between these two guys, an older man and a younger man, and it occurred, something occurred to me right then. And I leaned over to Karen, and I said, apparently too loud, that's his son. And she looked up at me like, are you just now getting that? Afterwards, she said, I th- you said that loud enough, so I think everybody in the theater looked at you, are you just now getting that? Solving the mystery. It's what we want. Trouble is, God will not bow to the bar of our reason. It doesn't have to. I love it that I don't know very much about God. I know enough about God to be saved and apparently to be a professional Christian here. (laughs) That's all I know. It is about this much. Fortunately, you only know this much. (laughs) So you keep coming back. (laughs) I don't know what you're going to do, what what I'm going to do when you figure this out. I'll be wearing a red thing down at Lowe's. Rules release us from the struggles associated with mystery. If we can just say, these are the rules then the mystery is solved. Second, because we can better evaluate ourselves by the rules. There's something inside of us, isn't there? How am I doing? How am I I doing? I mean, that's just inside of us to evaluate ourselves. And it's difficult to evaluate ourselves in the context of a mysterious relationship with the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like, there's just way too much uncertainty in that, right? To know how I'm doing. How many of you, it's probably just me, but how many of you have ever had the worst performance week of your life followed by the most amazing encounter in the power of the Holy Spirit? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I go through a week going, I suck at this, I suck at this, I suck at this. And I show up here going, I don't know, Lord, I don't, surely there's somebody better than me. And he comes, boom, and stuff starts happening around the room. Is it, it is just me. I shouldn't have told you that, because now you know something else about me. Now, every time the Holy, one of those Sundays the Holy Spirit really moves, you're going to go, I wonder what he did this week, right? <laughs> I've got to get a real job. <laughs> but I think the third reason we really prefer rules to relationship is because with rules we can more easily judge others. We can keep people in their categories with the rules. Here, here, here. Oh, they're over here. 
Here's what Jesus did for us with regard to the rules in Colossians chapter 2. The Bible says, I'm just going to read you the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. In other words, the rules. It says, don't let anybody judge you by the rules. Next verse says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The rules were a shadow. The reality is in Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm not saying that there's not a life to be lived. Of course there is. But we cannot live it in our own strength. We can only live it out of the reality of Jesus Christ as a central radical priority of our lives in the context of the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So in Isaiah, he says, you guys say you're mine, but your, your hearts are far from me. Your worship is made up of rules made by men. And the key to the understanding this whole thing is in the next verse. Here's what he says next. Therefore, now when we see a therefore in the Bible, we stop to see what it's very good. So in other words, therefore, as a result of the fact that their worship had become rules, therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. You want to know how you get free from an addiction to the rules? You enter into the wonder of God. You enter into the wonder of God, the experience of the wonder of God in your life. That'll set you free from your need for the rules. It'll give you the power to walk a life of discipleship. But it's showing up for the wonder. Just the wonder, the nature of the wonder. of. I believe God has a desire to to be wonderful in front of you, to bless you with a wonder, with with something personal, with something that only you and he would know. A wonder. How many of you feel like you've experienced a wonder from God at some point in your life? It's amazing, isn't it? Just a wonder. That's what he says he's going to do in response to empty worship, he says, therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. That's the word I have for our ministry this morning. While I was out on the wall this morning, it's, I, I want to perform wonder upon wonder in this room. Wonder upon wonder. I don't know what your wonder need is, but some of you are feeling stirred right now, going, I know what it is. And it would be a wondrous thing for God to come and do that in my life.